0: You're listening to Unscripted with Alex, a podcast that empowers young families to make choices that are best for them and their children.
1: Hi, Madison. Welcome to Unscripted with Alex.
0: Thank you. It's nice to be here.
1: Yeah, thank you for agreeing to come on and share your story with us. And today you're going to talk about, so you've had two births and both have been C-sections, one a very recent one. So we're probably going to focus more on the other one, which was an emergency C-section. But we're also going to talk about when you found out that your son had a congenital heart defect at two weeks old and how you guys managed to work through all of that. So to start off with, let's start with your first birth. How is the pregnancy and everything going and what were the signs that you needed to have an emergency C-section?
0: So I had an amazing pregnancy with Finn. We found out I was pregnant quite early on as we'd been trying for about nine months, I think. We'd had a few early miscarriages and things like that. So I was actually about to have my hen's party and I was oh, I'll test to see you know, just in case. And sure enough, I got the faintest line. So I quickly had like my best friend come over and I was like, there's a line. She was like, there's not. And I was like, there absolutely is. And anyway, I tested again the next day and sure enough, it was just getting darker. And I was a little bit nervous because I'd had this happen, I think twice before now where I'd had the positive, but then eventually end up getting a period because I was always a bit naughty and testing before. But I kind of said to my husband, I was like, look, I've got my hens this weekend I've got this positive, I don't wanna you know do anything just in case you know I don't wanna jeopardize having a potentially a baby, you know, and he was like, well, it was like it's very early, like you, your period's not even due, like and I said, no, I thought like, i just I'm not gonna have any drinks at these hands like I'm just gonna give it the best chance possible, sort of thing, so yeah. I had to tell my two girlfriends that were hosting the hands. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I was like, "I am very early pregnant. Like, you're going to have to help me disguise this." So we were putting fake gin in real gin bottles and all sorts. But yeah, it turns out that that was baby Finn. So I'm so glad that you know we did all the right things and just started acting like I was fully pregnant since day one. Basically, was that really exciting? Like doing that and sharing it with your friends? Exciting, but I was also so nervous and. I really, I, I couldn't enjoy the first trimester until I had that twelve-week scan because I was just kind of expecting the worst, like hoping for the best. But also, you know, as each week kind of went, I was like, oh, I was like, here we go. I was like, it's another week down. Like, this is great. I'm getting close to that scan because I've never been that far before. So, yeah, that first trimester. When at
1: what stage were you losing the first ones? About How six, many weeks? Seven weeks. weeks.
0: Okay. Yeah, six, seven yeah. weeks. So super early. Um, sometimes I didn't even know I was pregnant. I was working with a fertility naturopath and a GP and I was having bloods done and they were like, oh, it looks like you were pregnant and it's just never eventuated again, Mm. just before my period would come. And so that was disappointing. So there were actually probably a couple more that I didn't even know about, essentially, just detected Mm. on blood work sort of thing. So yeah, it was hard, but Kind of once I just kept doing all the right things. I like tried to really focus on my mental health and was going for walks every day. Like really eating healthily, um, working really closely with my naturopath because she ended up kind of being not only my naturopath but my, almost like my counselor in a way. In that sense, like you know, just the positive mindset and all that sort of thing. Um, and then yeah, she was yeah. your person. Oh, she really was. Like she still is to this day. I <laughs> really, really yeah. yeah appreciate her and everything she's done. But yeah, so we had the seven week scan. Saw a heartbeat, which was also a first. So that was really promising. Mm. And then I had some very mild brown spotting at about eight weeks. And I was like, oh, here we go. Yeah. But um, so I quickly got back into the doctor's and he was like, look, don't panic yet. Like there's nothing, you know, we'll do another scan, so have another scan. Everything was fine. And then it got to about 10 weeks and it was coming towards the end of the year. And I was a school teacher. So I was like, look, I kind of want to tell my boss before. We break up for school holidays, especially for the big Mm. summer school holidays. So had another scan then at 10 weeks and got to see this little bean. And that was like great, especially after the bleed to see, okay, no, this baby's still growing, still happy, healthy heartbeat. So, and then from there, super normal pregnancy. I was never sick. I, yeah, just continued to grow. Honestly, I said to my girlfriends, like if I didn't have a belly, I wouldn't have known that I was pregnant. I was just so, yeah, like really enjoyed it. Like every moment I couldn't complain about a thing just That's ate so really good. well Your energy uh,
1: and everything was fine absolutely
0: yeah like a bit of fatigue in the first trimester but honestly mm. yeah no complaints I just absolutely loved every minute after that 12 week scan um mm. I got married when I was 15 weeks pregnant so like I was just over oh. the moon like I have had this tight dress on rocking this tiny little bump <laughs> yeah so it was so beautiful <laughs> yeah yeah and Finn moved heaps like he was really active and if he wasn't just with the kind of anxiety behind, or like I just wanted this baby here, like I would just pop down to maternity and they'd always look after me and do a quick scan or, you know, put the CTG on and, yeah, and I was just super really, really, really cautious about doing all the right things during the pregnancy. So, of course, absolutely no alcohol and I ate really well, um, would not even go near any deli meats or, you know, all the standard things. But also I was really quite particular about even just eating leftovers. Like I wouldn't eat leftovers just in case, that small chance that there was bacteria or something. I was actually really quite strict, and one of my girlfriends by third trimester ended up being like, "Maybe just calm down a bit. Like you're really quite uptight about it all. Like I wouldn't even eat chocolate out of fear for the caffeine in it. Like I was right, really quite okay. yeah, a little little bit OTT with it all. Right. Yeah. But it turns out and that with I'm this kind second of glad- one, is that is the oh. second one? Completely different. different. Yeah, yeah. yeah we okay. had a, a yeah. one shot of coffee a day, like <laughs> leftovers every day. It was. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're more, like, more I more now relaxed. have a toddler running around and I'm just trying to get through the pregnancy. Exactly,
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so it was completely different. But um, I always say to people now, I'm actually almost glad with how strict and precise I was with my pregnancy with Finn because obviously, with the outcome of him having a heart defect, I could honestly say that it was nothing that I did during the pregnancy. Yeah. So, And I really yeah. hung on to that, that, um, yeah, in no way did I jeopardise him yeah. by accident or, you know, I, I can honestly hand on my heart say that I did all the right things, which greatly helped me mentally. But, yeah, so. Yeah. When
1: you think about the body and how it develops and you're watching it go from, you know, the start, like egg and sperm and then cells creating and duplicating and You know, it's such a miracle that we become (laughs) fully developed humans. Oh, yeah, completely. You know, it's not surprising. so many things. Yeah. You think, how does that happen? But, yeah. Do you find yourself constantly
0: reaching for sugary foods? It's no secret that eating too much sugar can wreak havoc on your gut health. Not only does it feed bad gut bacteria, but it can also cause inflammation and damage to the gut lining. Vatika Co.'s Gut Health Protocol is here to help. Our simple four-week reset program is designed to remove triggers and unwanted microbes, supporting you through your sugar hangover and repairing the gut. So why wait? Start feeling better today with Vatika Co.'s Gut Health Protocol.
1: So throughout your whole pregnancy, you didn't have any inkling, like, inkling that there was anything wrong with his heart?
0: absolutely not no that would never even have crossed my mind and I did have more than the normal amount of scans with Finn like I said I had that bit of anxiety so the minute that you know his movements would change I'd be straight down to maternity and they were really good there they'd often offer me to have a little scan just I think that was more for reassurance for me more than actually needing to be done but um so like I said like I had yeah a growth scan um somewhere around 26 weeks, and then when I got to Bustleton, I had another, because I live up north at, at the time, another two scans once I got to Bustleton, and each time the heart was checked. So, of course, that was never, yeah, yeah. that was honestly the last yeah. thing. If you not told me that, anything. I would have been like, absolutely not. That's not going to happen. But, yeah, it did. yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> so th- getting towards the end of your pregnancy, what was your – hope. You were you hoping for a natural birth or was it sounding
0: like induction or so I did the hypnobirthing course maybe around twenty six weeks, I think. And mm. I was just so empowered by that to have a vaginal birth. I was in my head, yep, yeah, that's what I'm doing. And I was saying to everyone like I'm absolutely going to try drug-free. You know, I was really quite passionate about listening to my body and Riding the wave, and some people like some people from work were like, Well, wait till you're there. And I was like, Yeah, I will, like, I absolutely will. But this is kind of when I envision it, that's how I see it going down. Like, I'll go into labor at home, have my husband, I'll be staying at my parents' house, like, I'm really close yeah. with my mom. Like, it, it'll be this beautiful experience, and it still was. But, um, yeah, yeah there were changes. So we headed down living in Karatha had to be down in Bustleton by 36 weeks as advised by my obstetrician. So we got in the car with cat, dog, all our things, and started our beautiful two-day drive down to Bustleton. <laughs> and then I had, I think the second day after we were here, I had my first face-to-face appointment with my obstetrician. Um, before that was all telehealth, and then I was being cared for by the midwives up in Caratha. And she noticed that my blood pressure was slightly high. That she wasn't overly concerned because I'd just done this huge car trip, like a lot going on. Just moved in with my parents, about to have a baby in a few weeks. So we kind of just said, let's just reassess. Like, if you feel sick or anything, like please just call up. We'll reassess in a week's time. So the following week, I went in. My husband had to go back up to work to tidy up a few last minute jobs, and my heart, uh, blood pressure was high again and quite a bit higher so she wasn't really happy with letting me go home with that so I went straight to the hospital for the hour-long blood pressure monitoring and the CTG and baby was absolutely fine blood pressure was kind of up and down sort of thing but they were happy enough that by the time I'd left it was at a stable enough um level and I had no protein in my urine or any sort of like no headaches, no nausea. So they were kind of happy for me to go home. And mm-hmm. then so this takes us to about 37 weeks. And my blood pressure was something ridiculous, like 182 over 110 or something. It was high. And they it. were like, You don't feel sick. And I was like, No, I really don't feel sick, like at all. And they said she said to me, my obstetrician, um, when can your husband get here? And I said, oh, he'll be here. Like, and I think it was only a couple of days. And she was like, okay, he probably needs to come down because this is not, like we can't let you keep going on like this, basically. Like we need to really watch this. You could have your baby any day. So Clayton quickly came back down. Um, the next day, blood pressure again, still really high, straight to the hospital, um, which I'd been doing multiple times now, having this monitoring done for the hour. They also took some bloods and um, the obstetrician that was on came back to me and said, I've just spoken to your obstetrician. We've now got indicators from your bloods that your liver and I think it was my kidneys are not coping. We've got enough to call this preeclampsia. I said, right. okay. Just don't have
1: pressure on them. Mm.
0: That's sure. absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. So, which wasn't happening before. Like there was literally nothing to indicate anything was really wrong except for this high mm-hmm. blood pressure. So. Yeah, once the bloods kind of came back, they said to me, "We need to, for your health and your baby's health, we need to get this baby out or get the placenta out, really, because that's what causes the preeclampsia." So, did they, sorry, to-
1: did they talk to you at all about starting any blood pressure medications as an option, or they really only wanted the treatment of getting baby so out? Because
0: at this time, I was thirty-eight weeks and four days. They were sort of more, "Let's get this baby out." I had never got to see yeah. my blood results, but. Based on how people were talking to me, it didn't sound good. Like everything was quiet. Because you were close to the end. That's Mm. right, yeah. So they said to me, would you, and it had already been mentioned a few times, we might need to get this baby out, we might need to get this baby out, but they did their best they could. Like so much monitoring. Nearly every day I was just having to go into the hospital just to get my blood pressure checked anyway. And I was just so excited to see this baby. So I was like, yeah, induction, let's do it. Like, bring it on. Like, I'm ready. Like, I'm really excited to finally have this baby mom." So they said, okay, well, we're going to start it this afternoon. Like, you're going to have the balloon put in. I was like, oh, okay. So I was like, thank goodness Clayton's already here. So we literally went home, grabbed the hospital bag, said bye to mum and dad. I was like, see you next time. I'll have a baby sort of thing. And went back to the hospital, had the balloon done. And then, yeah, we started the induction at... 7am first thing the next morning. Right. Quick end. <laughs> but <laughs> it's so funny to think back on it now, but it's all such a blur. So, yeah, so we, once the balloon was taken out and my waters were broken, I was four centimetres dilated. And I honestly thought that I was going into labour the night before because that was the most painful part of the whole experience was that balloon. I ended up getting mm. some pain medication. And then, yep, so waters were broken. I had the synthetic oxytocin drip put in just at a low dose just to kind of so sort of they didn't over me. Nothing happened, so they kept slowly just cranking it up and then I was at like the maximum volume that they could give me and just nothing was happening. Like they were like, do you not feel anything? I said, no, nothing, nothing. So after an hour or two, they ended up actually changing the bag and putting a new drip in just to see if maybe there was an error there and no, still so, nothing. So hang on,
1: <laughs> with the syntocin you felt yeah. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. So I was actually just so
0: because yeah. it sort
1: of normally just really ramps those contractions up. That's and right. Everyone was yeah. a bit confused. So, so
0: they're like, like, is
1: this just a bag of saline?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what they thought. They were like, Maybe this is just like somehow a dodgy bag. So they literally changed the bag and yeah, but no, so I was just sitting there and I was quite content and I even had a nap at lunchtime. Like I heard that I could hear the <laughs> midwives. They came in, they're like, She is asleep and I'm like, Yes. <laughs> my husband's just sitting there watching god knows what on his phone it was yeah it was quite boring like, this isn't how the induction normally goes <laughs> that's right and in the morning they said to me they're like now this is going to be like a really intense like painful day like you just let us know like if you need anything and I was like oh that made me really nervous I was like oh okay and then yeah four pass forward four hours I'm still just sitting there but then there was the discussion of potentially going to Bunbury because they could um, administer a higher dose but they basically said no, like based on how long she's been on the the dose in Bustleton for how long that's been, we probably wouldn't do anything different. And I was sort of relieved because I was already there. I was set up. I was, you know, I had my obstetrician working that day. I was really happy to stay in Bustleton.
1: Do they explain why it wasn't working?
0: No, no. I still they don't have really any know. idea, I think or I was just... just no. Well, I don't know if they do, but no, they just said to me, unfortunately, your body's just not taken to it, it's not responding to it. But the strange thing is is that the CTG machine was picking up that I was having contractions and quite regular. I ended up getting to seven centimetres dilated at one stage. Oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah. You sound like another person that we recently talked to who got to six centimetres and felt nothing.
0: You get to seven centimetres and felt nothing. So I was just sitting there waiting and, I, I yeah, I just sort of in the back of my head was thinking, okay, um, it's been a while now, like I haven't gone into labour. I actually ended up texting my husband. I didn't want to say it out loud because I didn't want the midwives to be like, no, don't be negative or anything. But I text my husband at about lunchtime and I said, this is going to end in a C-section. And he says, yeah, I agree. So, which was kind of good. And I'm sort of glad that I didn't go into labour and then end in a C-section just because... I was already mentally preparing myself for it from about lunch so it was already in my head like this probably isn't going to go how I thought it would and that's okay but yeah just be mindful that like don't be disappointed like you're about to meet your baby sort of thing so yeah by about four o'clock my obstetrician came in she was like "Mm, still nothing and I'd gone back down to four centimeters dilated and so nothing was Uh progressing yeah it was Finn had kind of, he started to sort of make his way down and he said, oh, actually, I don't know, back up. Like it was no, not, no, nah, like, this is not a thing. I'm quite happy in here. And yeah, so she said to me, I'm going to give you to six o'clock, so two hours to go into active labour and explain to me that, you know, your waters have been broken since about eight o'clock this morning. So we don't really want to go past that 12-hour mark and explain to me, you know, the risks of having my waters okay. broken for too long, infection and all that. So, yeah, so... Basically, after she said that, I was like, cool, bring on six o'clock. Like, that's when I'm going to meet my baby. Like, it's not going to happen between four and six. But I know, like, she knew that I, what I had envisioned for my birth. So I think she was trying really hard to kind of give, like, yeah, just to kind of say that, you know, we, we let it go as long as we could. And yeah, we tried everything basically, which, yeah, it is what it is. So she came back in at six and she just looked gutted for me she was like you know what I'm about to say and I said yeah yeah." I said I do but it's fine like I've known since about lunchtime and she was like yeah exactly so (laughs) you're like I made the decision in my mind at lunch that's That's right I was already there like there was no false hope here sort of thing so yeah she went through like the reasons why again why she thinks that having the c-section is necessary and I completely agree that I'd come this far I wasn't going to jeopardize my health or the baby's health when I hadn't done, you know, that just wasn't an option. So I was more than happy to go ahead with the C-section. So she gave Clayton and I a couple of minutes while they went and got all the paperwork sorted and I rang my parents and let them know what was going on and, yeah, in we went. And originally because she knew how passionate I was about having this, like, holistic vaginal birth sort of thing, she said to me, I really encourage you to drop the drapes that when we pull him out you can watch like as long as he's fine we'll do the straight skin to skin and all that and I was like yeah great yeah let, let's do that but Ooh. as soon as I got in there because I was in this beautiful quiet dark birthing suite with just three people you know I was like yeah I was like, let's do that that sounds exactly like me and as soon as I kind of got all gowned up and wheeled into this pristine white room with about 14 people yes. in it mm. bright lights I grabbed my husband and I was like, I am not watching this I was like, I'm freaking out! I cannot do this. Like you need yeah. to go and find the obstetrician and say no. <laughs> and so right. he was kind of yeah. <laughs> he was like, yeah, no, oh, like, she gosh. actually doesn't want to do that, yeah. Okay. Um, and then yeah, the whole time I just literally just looked at my husband and we were just—I don't even know what we we're talking about. It was definitely nothing important. Of he was just distracting me the whole time, yeah. basically, because it was a lot. I don't remember a lot of it. Like he tells me parts of it, I'm like, I don't even remember that. I think it was. I'd done no research around C-sections, so um, I really didn't really know what to expect. Um, I was super nervous having the spinal, but once he was out, I was just, everything was fine and I still got my skin to skin and it was, yeah, it was still a really beautiful birth. I just wish I'd done some more research, I guess.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's hard. There's only so many things that you can kind of think about and I think it's great to envision a big, beautiful birth, vaginal birth, and all of that. I think that's nothing wrong with that at all. And that takes so much brain power to just even get into that sort of mindset. So totally. it's surprising that you don't then have time to think about a C section and also that shifts your focus. So exactly, yeah, yeah. I think that sounds very normal <laughs> to have yeah. not done that research and also very understandably to be a bit panicked. I mean, it's a big procedure. For sure, yep. How was your recovery then after the C-section?
0: It was really good. Yeah, basically Finn was born at 7.40pm and then we had him with us that night, um, which obviously I just stayed kind of reclined for that night Um, and the midwives and Clayton sort of just kept bringing him to me to feed. But the next morning, I'm like, do you feel like getting up? And I was like, absolutely. And I was up on my feet, showering, um, walking, yeah, pretty much all that day, and then I think after maybe the third day, I was only taking Panadol, and that was more just because they were offering it to me. They were like, just Just in case, like just in case pain does come on, just take it. And I thought, like, yep, cool, I'm happy to do that, but I don't feel like I need anything stronger. So they were more than fine with me just taking Panadol, which, yeah, I just felt really, obviously, I had like a little bit of tension where my scar was, but definitely not pain, and I was pretty much back to normal within two weeks like nothing had happened. <laughs> that's amazing. So yeah, good. Yeah, that's what the midwife said. They're like, no pain from your induction. And now no pain after a C-section. They're like, are you okay? Like, what is,
1: <laughs> who are you? You must have a very oh. high pain threshold.
0: <laughs> I, don't know, I didn't think I did, but yeah, it's just, yeah, I think I was just in such a bubble with fit as well. Like it was, I was just on this adrenaline high, like my baby was finally here. And yeah, that was all that was important to me. It was just, yeah, had my little bundle finally in my arms and I probably elated a lot of everything else that was going on as well.
1: Yeah. And so those first couple of weeks, how was everything going? Was uh, feeding okay and everything seemed okay? Yeah, so as
0: soon as they put him on my skin, because they obviously did the quick one-over of him, he started crying when they had pulled him out and they were happy with how he presented. So they were happy to do all these obs and things like that, skin to skin. So he was straight on my chest, and um, as soon as we went into the recovery area, they were like, do you want to try and feed him? Like, so they helped me latch him, and he was just such a natural. He just straight on, felt great for me. He was loving it. I was happy. And after that, yeah, he was just such an easy feeder. He was just natural. Yeah, it was fantastic. I was like, oh, I love this because I really wanted to breastfeed as well. So that was fantastic. But I, I started thinking something wasn't right when I was in hospital. So I think it was the third day that I was there. I could hear the babe, other babies on the ward kind of crying throughout the night, um, waking, or you know, just throughout the day, like just hear them like have a little pipe up. And I was like, "Well, oh, my baby is not doing that. Like, my, like he kind of wakes up, feeds, goes back to sleep, which obviously is very standard for a newborn. But. I think it got to a point where he slept for like five hours straight one morning and the midwives kept popping in. They're like, is he, like, is he working for a feed yet? Like, you know how they want to do like the tests of things, like when they're feeding, especially the heel pricks mm. and that. Mm. I was like, Oh no, he's still asleep. So already in the back of my mind or in my gut, I was like, Oh, I hope that's normal. Like, but you know, everyone's looked at him and yeah, he'd been assessed by the obstetrician and she said that, yep, this is a perfectly healthy little baby. Um, which he was, he was a good size, you know, he was a great feeder, poos and wheeze, like there was literally, yeah, nothing to indicate that he wasn't, so I kind of pushed that And he didn't, wasn't
1: crying much, is that what you said? Like, was not cry, painful.
0: no, he didn't really cry a lot, maybe like when he was getting his nappy change, but he didn't wake crying for a feed, like it was more me being like, oh, he's gone a little while without a feed, so I'm going to wake him up and yeah. feed him sort of thing, so Yeah, that was kind of the first little alarm bell in the back of my head. But like I said, people had reassured me, no, that's okay. So I kind of pushed it to the back of my mind. And then, yeah, we went home. I think we went home about day five. We were in there for a while, firstly, because it was my first baby and I was loving all the support, advice and care from the midwives. And they were just teaching me so much, like really getting me ready to go home with a newborn baby. And secondly, because of my blood pressure, which was still being naughty after Oh really, him. it didn't drop yeah, straight. Yeah, no, it didn't. So they were sort of still wanting to just keep an eye on that. So yeah, I think it was day five. We ended up going home and loved it. Like it was challenging having this new baby. He yeah, just just trying to learn how it's not just me anymore and um, I can't just go and have a shower when I want to uh, it was winter like I couldn't just go for a walk because I had this new little bundle and yeah so that transition was tricky like it is for every new mum but still amazing and I think it got to about when he was maybe a week old I noticed that he just he slept lots like he I know that that's basically all they do is feed eat, eat sleep like this that cycle, but he slept a lot. Like, and he, like I said, he didn't really cry. I ended up messaging a girlfriend and saying, Hey, Finn sleeps about this amount of time between fees. Just wondering, like, is that normal? And she sort of said, "Mm, I, yeah, I guess so. Like that she she reassured me that yes, that's what they do. They feed, they sleep. They only really wake up if there's something really wrong. Like if they're, you know, unhappy in their nappy Mm -hmm. or if they are hungry or, you know, a bit of gas or whatever, so I said, okay, cool. So, yep, didn't think much of that again. And we're coming up to him being two weeks old and Clayton had to go back to Carratha um, just for a few days to do a job, and which was fine. I had my parents with me. It's not like I was left on my own or anything. But um, he had mild jaundice when we brought him home from the hospital. And like they say, just feed, feed, feed because – that'll excrete itself out, and he was looking good. So, And um, the visiting midwives obviously were checking his jaundice levels as well, and they were on the decline. Like he was getting better from that. He was never at a level that warranted any phototherapy or whatever it is that they do. Mm -hmm. So his jaundice was getting better. And then, yeah, around that two-week mark, his jaundice started coming back, and at the same time Mm -hmm. he started – not being able to stay latched on the breast, which was very unusual because he was an amazing feeder and he was the sort of baby that would so feed what, he was feet. getting like out of breath? Yeah, it was like he was working himself into a state. And so mum was like, oh, like he mustn't be hungry. And I was like, no, he is. I was like, because he hasn't eaten for five hours. Like he has to be hungry. And. So I was trying to latch him and he was just he'd stay on like for a couple of gulps and then be coming off, like taking this big gasp of air through his mouth and then trying to get back on and just getting so upset, which was then really upsetting for me. Like sometimes I just had to put Mm -hmm. him down and go walk away because I was crying, thinking what is going Mm -hmm. on. So then I was messaging my other girlfriends, like, has anyone randomly had trouble breastfeeding? And a few of them said, Yeah, or you know, my child prefers one side over the other, and trying to give me all this really great advice, but it just wasn't happening and his jaundice started coming back, which was alarm bells for me, and then he started sleeping even more. So it got to the point where he was waking maybe twice in the night for a feed and it got to the point where he literally, I was having to wake him constantly to offer him a feed and he'd go on for maybe a minute at the most and then just doze back off again. So I got a good old, good old Dr. Google and his symptoms of jaundice, a lethargy poor feeding and I was thinking okay it's the jaundice so I made a doctor's appointment um, with my obstetrician thinking we'll just get sent to the hospital where they'll do the therapy for his jaundice and then everything will be Mm -hmm. okay again. Clayton was back at this stage so we went in together she put him on her little um, chair table thing and undressed him and Clayton was busy talking away to her about how things were going at home and that and I could just see the look on her face that something wasn't right. She wasn't happy with something that she'd seen and she called me over and she explained to me that he was breathing up, so really sucking um, for air in between his ribs and his breathing rate was quite fast, which thinking back, my dad had said to me when he was holding him one time, he breathes really fast. I don't remember you girls breathing like that. And I said, no, newborns breathe faster than normal and um, but, yeah, that came into my mind as soon as she said that. And I was like, oh, my goodness, how did I miss this? Like, but you don't know what you don't know. And oh, I was going to
1: say, you don't know how your baby's meant to be breathing. Totally. And really. it was winter, <laughs> so he was
0: always really rugged up. Like, it, I'd, yeah. you know, during bath time, which he loved and would get so excited about anyway, like I would kind of thought it was just excited breathing. So yeah. besides that, he was really like, you know, layers upon layers in winter, um, swaddled really tight. So I didn't actually yeah. really get the chance to Assess his breathing. Yeah, so that kind of stuck with me. And then, like I said, I said, he just sleeps all the time. I'm literally having to wake him. And she goes, Yeah, okay. So I'm suspecting that he might have an infection. So, what we're going to do is, you're going to go, I'm going to ring the bus and hospital, let them know that you're on your way with little Finn, and they'll do a full assessment on him. If they send you home, you need to come back here first thing tomorrow morning because you know, obviously something's not right. And I said, okay. So we went to the Busselton Hospital straight from there where they checked all his OBS, his SAT levels, he's um, they did a blood test for, I think basically everything, just trying to indicate that there might be something wrong. And everything came back as normal. There was literally no indicator in anything that there was anything wrong. So now I'm thinking that's great, but also, so what's the problem then? And yeah, and the doctors were thinking the same thing. So they said, obviously, this child's not feeding well; is super lethargic. The jaundice levels were nowhere near the level that warranted any intervention. Still, even though he looked like a little Simpsons character, but <laughs> that's how yellow he was. He was just this, yeah, real yellow baby. Which I was kind of like, no, I was like, it has to be the jaundice. Like, what else could it be? But they were adamant. No, everyone did the right thing. So my obstetrician sent us to the hospital in Bustleton. They obviously couldn't find anything, so but they weren't happy with that. So they rang Bunbury Hospital where there's paediatricians. Yeah, so we basically went home. I knew that I was going to have to stay there the night, so I grabbed a couple of um, items for me and for Finn, and then we drove to Bunbury, and uh, we had to go back through ED again. So I'm there with this two-week-old <laughs> baby, really busy emergency room, and I just started falling because obviously i've been told that you know something not right with my baby we don't know what it is i was i thought that once we got to bunbury because they'd been told that we were just going to go straight through but i've come to learn through my experience at the hospitals No, you've got to present through ed to then get triage sort of thing they do it
1: all again that
0: all again oh, and so it's I so just, stressful
1: you're like just really put is. me on the ward
0: and deal with this
1: and, there was and you're some thinking really this is an emergency my child yeah
0: yeah there was all these like poor sick kids and um adults as well in this tiny little emergency area and I'm thinking I've already got this baby where well, we don't know what's wrong like here I am thinking still yeah. it's an infection of some sort with kids you know vomiting near us and I was just really uncomfortable and we almost left like I almost was just like we'll just go back to the doctors in the morning like I don't think I can stay here by this stage I was just bawling crying because it's been such a big day um and as soon as I started crying, the nurse kind of came and was like, "Let's just take you. Like, you've got a two-week-old baby. You come into this room." And I was like, "Great!" And that kind of got the ball rolling. So I'm glad that I was able to turn on the waterworks. <laughs> but um, <Yeah. laughs> so that got us through basically. So we went in and we saw a GP or just a yeah, a doctor on one of the little rooms there. And again, they had a good listen to everything, observed him. They were like, "It's strange that we can't." Besides the they understood what I meant by that he couldn't stay latched on for very long, but besides that, they said, You know, he looks like a completely healthy baby. And I said, I oh, know that's what everyone's saying. And then they said, Well, we'll just go. I wait was gonna say, pedi- that's the frustrating part, that's right, that's why I'm Yeah, I mean, here. Like, what sorry, is going it's on? Just- <laughs> <laughs> you've already done, you
1: like, I've, I could tell you exactly what you're going to say and what you're going to see because I've just done it with the GP. I've just done it at Boston hospital. Do you want me to just skip this part? Exactly.
0: <laughs> just skip, go to I the next just bit, just Clayton get the pain in. I'm telling the same story to, And that's the thing. It's not just one doctor, then a different doctor comes. And I was basically, I should have just recorded myself and pressed play because you have to speak to that many people. So the pediatrician finally came in. I was just feeling absolutely defeated at this point because at this point I was thinking maybe there isn't anything wrong. Like maybe I just need to, you know, go home and persist with this feeding sort of thing and everything's going to sort itself out because no one seems to think that, you know, there's nothing to indicate a problem here. So the pediatrician came, which I felt relief. I was like, okay, this is, they're finally here. Um, and she was beautiful. She was looking over him, ah, baby Finn. And she had another um, pediatrician doctor with her and she was listening to his chest and she turned to the doctor and said, murmur. And my heart just stopped. I was like, murmur? And I said, no, no, that's not, I, in my head, I literally said that is not what it is because I've had about eight scans this pregnancy his heart is fine. So I've instantly pushed that out. I was like, no, that's not an option. And so the other doctor then listened and she said, no, I don't hear it. She goes, no, she goes, you really need to listen. And she goes, "Ah," oh. she goes, yeah, no, I can hear it. And so I'm thinking, oh, okay, but that's still, that's not what it is. So moving on sort of thing. And then they put us onto the ward after that because they wanted to do a, what did they want to do? They wanted to do the, uh, ECG on him and then they yeah and then they also did an x-ray of him as well um so we had both of that done x-ray looked fine but they also said you know that's really hard to unless there was something majorly abnormal there that would have not been a good Mm -hmm. indicator anyway and the ECG came back I don't know what it was but they said that there was one flag on the ECG and it was only something minor but there was one minor abnormality reading from his ECG. And basically uh, the paediatrician that was on the ward that I was on came to talk to me and they said, look, we found a murmur which basically indicates that there might be a hole in his heart um, or there is a hole in his heart. Um, sometimes kids when they're sick with the flu or something can, um, it, it can sound like their heart has a murmur and I'm thinking, okay, it's mm-hmm. the infection. That's why. And he said, no, this is, we're talking more from four years up that we hear that. Newborn babies, that wouldn't normally happen. And so, okay. And he said to me, um, look, we need to keep ruling out other things because it might just be by chance that we've found this murmur. We still need to rule out that there's not something else that's caused, um, causing what he's presenting as. So, again, multiple heel pricks for poor Finn all this testing, um, blood work, which I was a little bit annoyed about because I was like we were at Bustleton literally four hours ago. I don't think much would have changed in that time. You've got the blood work, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but also, yeah, do what you need to do. I was still adamant that it was an infection. But, yeah, no, so same thing. I couldn't find anything. One of the nurses came in because I was getting really upset trying to feed him. Like He was just so distraught she said to me, have you tried a bottle? And I said, oh, no, I haven't, but I have got one at home. Like I might get my mum to bring that up in the morning. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Basically they said that night, look, we aren't um, conclusive with what this is, but based on the only thing we can find is the murmur, but we're going to send you to PCH so that they can do a full assessment as well. So Oh, off we went again. So originally we were going to go by plane and then that night, but then it was no, actually um, you're going to go by ambulance first thing in the morning. So mum and dad quickly bought more fresh clothes for me and for Finn and bought the bottle like I'd asked and we ended up, yeah, going by ambulance, but the ambulance didn't come till about lunchtime. So I barely slept that night because I still didn't have a solid answer as to what was wrong with my baby like and I I literally stayed up all night just holding him just looking at him crying it was terrible yeah really really it was awful and then yeah so the ambulance came and then the next thing was is that it's in a snap COVID lockdown in Perth I know they didn't have many but it just happened to be the time that I was going to PCH so Clayton and I weren't allowed to go in the ambulance with Finn um so my Just shy of three-week-old little baby had to go in the car by himself, and Clayton had to drive, which probably wasn't safe. Like we'd had, well, I'd had no sleep, and Clayton had had next to no sleep. So I was just beside myself about that, um, not being able to. That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, because mum and baby are one. And I was was thinking, regardless of COVID or not, we've both now we've all had the. COVID swab anyway like Finn had had it multiple times just in case that's what it was he had it in Bustleton. he had it twice in Bunbury and here I am thinking well if I've got COVID he's got it now because he's you know on me 24-7 but yeah no that was just the rules like they were um yeah we weren't allowed to go with him so we had to drive in our car behind him I'd never been to PCH before I'm not overly experienced with Perth full stop like I'm not I don't often go to Perth and if I do it's Definitely not to a children's hospital, so I was kind of daunted about, and I knew that it was going to be a big hospital. And I just remember having this huge phobia of uh, what if they get there and I can't find him, like, or if they, you know, I I can't find my baby once I get there if he's been put in a room and then they don't associate me. I know it sounds a bit rational, but that was like a sick feeling I had the whole way. Totally, you should <laughs> be with your baby. Yeah. It's a so as feeling. soon as the ambulance mm. pulled up in this separate little section at PCH, I literally jumped out and ran after the ambulance just so I could keep my eyes on where he went. And they were really good, actually. They were like, Maddie, you come with us. This is mum. Mum's basically not leaving our side now. So that was all good. But, yeah, it was awful, especially running on no sleep. You know your anxiety gets 10 times worse, especially when you're yeah. functioning on poor sleep. So um, yeah. it was traumatic, yeah. But then that's the so next So what did
1: they do then?
0: Yeah, so we went into PCH, I thank the ambulance people for looking after him. They said that he pretty much slept the whole way, which I wasn't surprised. And then we got put straight into, there was no waiting at PCH. They knew we were coming, so it was straight into one of their little emergency rooms. And that day, to this day, is still the worst day of my life because Finn was prodded every 20 to 30 minutes. I think I ended up counting that he had something ridiculous like, Seventeen to twenty heel pricks within a probably twelve hour period,
1: Did you it got scream to scream
0: every time, or? every time, every time, and it was like we'd just finally get him settled from that, so we'd finally it. get him calm, and then someone else would come in, and my heart it got to a point where I just couldn't stop crying, and by the so we were there from about maybe about two o'clock in the afternoon, and, and we're heading into the night now, so it was something about eight o'clock, and they came in again. And my husband ended up just saying to them, look, you've done that many blood tests. Is this one essential? Like, do you think that there's going to be benefit from this next blood test that you do? And the doctor, she was a lovely doctor. She came in and she said, no, but like, I'm happy to wait until the morning because I can see that you guys have had a massive day. Finn's had a massive day. Um, and basically, yeah, we've got enough to kind of just let it be for now. Um and all day they were telling us, you know, we've checked for this. They were throwing out really big things. Like we've um, rechecked for cystic fibrosis. We've rechecked for um, strep, like all these really quite scary diagnoses. And that's what kind of made me think, oh, my goodness, like this is not something small anymore for them to be looking for these big things. Um, and all day it was the cardiologist will come, we will check out that murmur It'll either be tonight or it'll be tomorrow morning. So I was thinking, you know, if they were that worried about it, the cardiologist would have already have been here. So still I was in denial that it was the heart. I was thinking, no, that's just still not what it is because they would have looked at that further by now. I think it got to about midnight and they said, okay, we've got your room for you, so we're going to take you up onto the ward now. I said, great, so by the time we've... got all our stuff. It was about 1am. We'd spoken to the beautiful nurse that was um, going to be looking after us on the ward and she was kind of explaining to me just where everything is. Um, and like, yeah, in the morning, like where the cafes are, like they're just so accommodating there. It's just unbelievable care that you get. And so we'd finally kind of put our stuff down. And this is at 1am in the morning and I turn around and I hear this voice and he said, oh, hello, I'm the cardiologist. And he's dressed like he wasn't he was not already at the hospital he's come in to see us and I just looked at Clayton and I I knew something was really wrong for him to be here at that time Yeah. yeah it was it was awful that's when I knew okay it's his heart and he um kind of explained again just that they'd looked for all the possible other things that it could be. And, you know, there was nothing to indicate a problem, which he said, you know, that's a positive because there's nothing, there's no severe illness here. Let's have a look at his heart. And I said, okay. So he um, started doing the ultrasound for his little heart and poor Finn was just beside himself. He was you know been poked and prodded all day and now he's got this cold gel on him and he was yeah just so unhappy um yeah as were we you know everyone was just done spent um and it took a long time because he was obviously being very thorough and then also trying to work on this tiny squirming baby so he ended up he could tell that I was getting very emotional and he suggested that Clayton and I go make a coffee or a tea in the family room and he'll do what he needs to do and bring Finny out and um, we'll have a chat. So I didn't really want to go, but Clayton said, no, like let's just even just go for a walk. Like, we can come back. We know where he is. And I said, okay. So it was nice. It kind of got away from Finn crying because that was obviously really triggering for me just hearing a child scream all day long. And the nurse came and sat to us and she was like, he's fine in there. Like he's, you know, he's there's a nurse that's holding a dummy in his mouth. Like he's sucking away on the sugar. He's happy as. And so I thought, okay, like, I'm just going to sit and just just be for a moment. And then the nurse left us and Clayton and I kind of had a chat and he said, you know that it's his heart, Maddie, like there's something wrong. And I said, yeah, um, kind of put that together now. And he was like, it's going to be okay. Like we're, we'll get through this no matter what he says. Like Finn's going to be okay. Like we're in the best place. And he was just really positive and I needed that because I was not, <laughs> I was not coping. Um, and then the cardiologist came out and he was beautiful. He was such a nice man. And he said to me, okay, he goes, I know what it is. And that just made me feel sick in my stomach. He goes, I know what it is. And he goes, "I'm not." before I say anything else, Finn is going to be okay. Like what I've found, it can be fixed and he will be fine. And I just felt this weight just drop off my shoulders. Like, and I'm so glad that he started it like that, like just before he even had to explain anything, like, he will be okay. That was all that exactly. I needed to hear in the last yeah. two days. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And you have an answer. You know what it is. That's exactly and right. A so exactly. Like we can start putting steps in place now. So mm. yeah, he sat down with us and he drew a picture of a, a very rough picture of a heart and explained that Finn had and he explained that there's three different sizes. You've got small, medium, and a large. He goes, I'm not going to bother you with the dimensions, but Finn's got a quite a large hole. Um, in between the two bottom chambers of his heart, which we call a VSD, which stands for uh, ventricular septal defect. And he explained that the blood flow kind of swooshes between the two chambers. So he was never going to be at risk of like low oxygen or poor oxygen because it was oxygenated blood that was going back up mm-hmm. into the lungs and then back out through the body. So but obviously that's putting a lot of pressure on his heart especially I think it was the left side that's kind of got this extra blood flow in it all the time, he said, which is obviously resulting in him having the fast breathing, um, and struggle with breastfeeding because he can't stay latched because he's needing to take these breaths much more frequently than a normal baby. So once he kind of explained all that, we said, okay, so what, what now? And he said, um, Basically, what happens at PCH is that this is at the time, this is obviously a year ago, but there were four um, main cardiologists and Finn will just keep undergoing regular reviews until they deem that it's necessary to operate. So basically, the things that they look out for is on their echocardiogram on the ultrasounds, they'll check for any swelling of the heart to indicate heart failure. And heart failure, I'm like, sorry? And they said, oh, no, that's... Heart failure is deemed a little bit differently in kids. It's basically when the heart's just finding it a bit too hard to cope um, and showing us signs of distress. It's not that he's going to shut down or anything like that. And I said, okay, so glad we clarified that. But, Yeah. um, yeah, because I was like, sorry, that's, oh, my goodness. But, no, so that was, yeah, they look for some inflammation or some swelling of the heart, lack of weight gain. So if he consistently stopped putting on X amount of weight and then, basically just if his sats started to dip. So if his um, oxygen levels were under a um, certain level that they wanted them to be, I think they wanted them to remain at kind of the 80 mark. They were like the three things, the three major things that they were going to be continue to look for. And he said the minute that one of them starts to present itself, all four cardiologists would sit down and have a meeting, which happens every Thursday, and they'll present Finn's case. And basically they all have to be in to say, yeah, we think that he needs surgery. Like if there's one of them that thinks no, they really, they'll review it again in a week's time because, and they explained to me, you know, it's open heart surgery. We don't want to do it unless we absolutely have to. And Finn will let us know if he needs that sort of thing. So
1: So hang that. on. Are they sort of <laughs> basically saying that some kids can live with a hole in their heart?
0: Yeah. Or so, is it just
1: a matter of time?
0: So I think if it's a moderate to small hole, they said that, yeah, there's a really good chance that that child will not need the heart surgery. But, yeah, so I basically said, is there a chance that Finn won't need this surgery? And he said, no, like Finn's hole is way too large. He will need this corrective surgery. And I said, oh, okay, which obviously I've so just why, been told. Yeah, but if that, if that
1: thinking is going to happen, why not do it when he's in a better state than waiting until when he's going down here
0: yeah well that's what Clayton asked as well he said why would we not try and kind of do it but they said I think it's because it is such a big operation and obviously just like with any operation there's things that can go wrong but they explained to me it's not like we're operating on his arm or his leg you know like this is a vital organ he is only two weeks old the ideal time to do it is around the 12 month mark um like that's what they would hope for best because they've got that good weight gain behind them recovery would be a lot smoother and at the moment like Finn was obviously not showing any of the like he was had regained all his weight from birth plus yeah he was his um, oxygen levels were still 100 like there was like there's actually no physical reason for us to do this at the moment so and then I asked so what? does this surgery involved and he yeah explained that what they do which is Pretty traumatic. I'm um, hearing that they open up their chest and their rib cage, and then they actually put a gauze. It's actually amazing though what they do. They put a gauze um, where the hole is, and then with time, the child's cells will naturally grow over it to close the hole. So mm-hmm. they said that, and that they said that they do two or three every Thursday. So that's how common it is wow yeah so as soon as I heard that and apparently the surgeon at PC well no not apparently he is um I never got to meet him thankfully because Finn didn't end up having surgery but he um is just incredible apparently so um and he's the only one in WA that can do the open heart surgeries and yeah so he operates on two to three kids every Thursday doing open heart surgeries so As soon as I heard that, I instantly felt relief as well. I was like, okay, this man is an expert. He knows what he's doing. And then I asked the cardiologist, so when would we be expecting Finn to have to have this surgery? And he said, it's hard to say because I'm not going to say that he's going to have to have it by this certain time, but being realistic, we'll be lucky to get him to three months. So then you've gone from hearing that the ideal time is 12 months and my baby's probably going to be three months. It was just awful. Yeah, so, but it was okay because there was a plan in place. I was so tired. I was just actually just so relieved that, okay, we know what it is now. They've assured me that he'll be okay. So, yeah, we had just like a bit more of a chat. He was really nice. And then he said, so I think we need to give Finn a feeding tube. Oh, and my heart just broke again. So I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, like now this poor baby is about to be put a feeding tube in. It's now 2 a.m. in the morning, probably even 3 a.m. actually, and I am now going to have to learn how to use this NG feeding tube. And I said, oh, I said, before we do that, can I just try give him a bottle? He's never been given a bottle before. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's always breastfed. So do you mind if I try to bottle feed him? And he said, absolutely, you can try. And so he stayed in the room. I pumped and Finn just guzzled this bottle down. And the nurse was like so happy because she obviously could see how stressed I was about having to have this feeding tube. And she asked the cardiologist, are you happy for him? Like we'll monitor how much Madison gives him throughout the night and we'll let you know basically he's meeting an amount that's happy for you. And he said, yes, I'm happy to do that for tonight and I'll come back in first thing in the morning. So she basically said to me, they bought in a hospital pump, and which was fantastic because you can imagine how my breasts were feeling by this time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally <laughs> rocks. Um, mm. And they, yeah, so she said to me, put an alarm on for every three hours and – feed Finn, um, like we'll bring you in hot water and all that so you can sterilise your bottles and everything. Um, Yeah, feed him every three hours. They said to feed him 60 to 80 mils and he was just devouring it. Like he could have easily have given him more. And I asked if I could give him more, but the cardiologist said just wait till the morning because they didn't want to risk putting any extra fluid on his lungs or something like that. So I just said, yeah, okay, that's fine. I was just happy that this tube wasn't going in just yet. So yeah the next morning I came in and he was just yeah guzzling this bottle absolutely loving it I was pumping a great amount of milk and so they were really happy to not put the feeding tube in for the time being but then they also said to me that the heart and the lungs when they hit 6 weeks old I still don't really quite understand it but they basically go into this next level of work it's like they really realize that they're outside of the womb and um, there's some extra pressure or something like that. So basically this is great for now, but he might need a feeding tube at six to eight weeks. So constantly had that in my head. So yeah, great, in a few more weeks, this poor child's gonna now need a feeding tube. And then that so those few days in the hospital were just such a whirlwind because it was still during COVID. So only I was allowed to stay. Clayton was staying at a friend's house and then which was quite far away from the hospital too. Um And then he wasn't allowed to visit because there was only allowed to be one person in the room in a 24-hour period. So basically if I left. he never got to see Finn? He didn't get to see him for about two days. So if I left, that meant Clayton could come but for 24 hours and then I'm pumping. So that just wasn't an option. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. I ended up getting really upset by this, especially because, you know, I'm a new mum and this baby's only three weeks old. So this amazing social worker ended up coming in and organising Ronald McDonald House for us. Um, So Clayton could stay there, which was literally across the road. So they organised that and he was in there by that afternoon, which was great because then they let Finn and I go out for a walk to see him, which go figure because if he had COVID, you know. (laughs) But anyway, I don't know why they do it like that. But, yeah, so he was staying at Ronald McDonald House, which meant that we could pop out a couple of times to see him. And then, yeah, the cardiologists just, just kept coming in and we had a million doctors, nurses, students coming in. It was kind of cool, actually. Like they had brought lots of students in and were kind of asking me to tell the symptoms and the story and then trying to get them to guess the diagnosis. And ah. like it was, apparently it was just like this, yeah, great learning curve for all of them. And a few of them would get it and a few of them wouldn't. And so, yeah, that was quite interesting. But same thing, like I was just telling the story over and over and over again. I was just, yeah, really over telling it, to be <laughs> honest. Um, yeah, but we were So how for- long
1: did you end up staying in hospital for in total? I think
0: it was about four days because he continued to put on weight and he was just taking this bottle like an absolute champ. So basically after four days they said – based on how he's, how much he's improved so quickly during this time in hospital, they were happy for me to go stay at Ronald McDonald House with Clayton. And obviously it's nice and close to the hospital, so if anything were to turn, we were just there. So that was so And at nice. five to
1: six weeks, did he need a feeding tube or did he get through without it?
0: So at six weeks, um, that came around. So at this time we were still in Perth. Um, We weren't at Ronald McDonald House, we only stayed there for a couple of nights and then we had um, some friends in Broome who were so generous to let us use their holiday house in Scarborough to move into. So yeah, we ended up moving there which was great because we were able to stay in Perth and um, because Finn was being seen daily still at this point either by a visiting nurse or we were taking him into the hospital. So yeah, six weeks came and they were still really content with his weight gain and his bottle feeding and all his obs were still looking fantastic. His heart wasn't looking like it was in any distress. So, yep, that came and went. But, yeah, so he had this target each week. So eventually the appointments went from daily to weekly. We took Finn into PCH. And the goal was um, for him to put on a minimum of 150 grams a week, which he met every time. However, that put a lot of pressure on me to ensure that he was having these feeds. So I became obsessed with how much milk he was taking in. And I was also working with a dietician who showed me how to fortify the breast milk with a little bit of formula just for the extra weight gain. But yeah, I just became obsessed with the numbers. So she was kind of saying to me, if he has X amount of feeds, you'd be wanting to look at this amount per feed. But you know, everyone knows that babies aren't robots. Like sometimes they'll have a massive feed, sometimes they'll have a small feed. So, but I just like was really fixated on the numbers at the end of the day, how much he'd had. And it really stressed me because sometimes he would have a day where he'd had hardly anything and I would lose it. Like my anxiety would just go out of control and I was lashing out at my parents who were staying to help us, lashing out at my husband. Like, and it was just because of this pure fear of not meeting this weight gain and knowing what happens if he doesn't meet this weight gain. And the cardiology, cardiology nurses were beautiful. They said to me, you know, it's not just going to be off one week. Like if he doesn't meet the 150 in one week, it's not okay for surgeries next Thursday. It's got to be that he regresses in weight. And, yeah, so and they were just so amazing in really helping me with that anxiety Around it all, Um, and every time we met them, like they would assure me, "No, he's looking fantastic." And so you end up getting given two specific nurses that you see on cardiology ward, and they give me a number that I can call between nine to five um, at any time during those hours. And um, if they don't answer, I literally leave a message, and they ring me back as soon as they can. So, and I still utilise that to this day. They just, yeah. The care that you get at PCH, I honestly can't fault it. Um, Yeah, no, so the weeks just kept ticking and Finn just kept putting on weight and got to a point, I think he must have been about maybe eight weeks old and we were actually about to go back to Bustleton for a weekend because my poor parents have put their lives on pause to come up and stay and help us. So we were going to go home, just be a family, try and live a little bit normally. The nurses were totally okay with us doing that. And like they said, it's not like Bustleton doesn't have a hospital. Like we know what's wrong with Finn. If anything happens, just race in there. And I'm thinking, okay, so literally the day we're about to leave, Finn was breathing out of control. Like he was taking 80 breaths a minute and I just didn't feel, like he'd always been a faster breather, but I just didn't feel comfortable going to Bustleton with him like that. So I rang the nurses and they said, yep, bring him in. That's absolutely fine. So we took them in and they agreed that he was definitely breathing even faster than usual. So we went through all the process of all the scans and everything and the cardiologists decided to put him on a diuretic, which basically just makes you excrete extra fluid from your body, which would take a bit of extra pressure off the heart and the lungs. So we started that medication ended up still going down south like the cardiologist literally said to me you need to go like go and enjoy this we would not be saying this if we were at all worried about Finn so I'm so glad that I did take him in because I wouldn't have enjoyed the weekend and just having that peace of mind there's no like once this medicine kicks in like he'll come back down again and he did he recovered well from that but then so twice a day I was giving him a diuretic and then, yeah, after that, we eventually moved from weekly to monthly appointments. Then out of the blue, we went to one of our appointments and we'd been given a new cardiologist. Like, He was new to the hospital. He was a new cardiologist and that just sent my anxiety into overdrive because we'd become really close with our normal cardiologist. And I'm thinking, what on earth? Like, why have we been moved to someone else? And he basically, so once you go through, so you see the nurses, they do all the obs, weigh them, and then after that you go and have your, your echocardiogram, your ultrasound done, and then after that then you see your cardiologist once he's had a good look through all the um, results. So we went and met with this cardiologist And he introduced himself and he was lovely, such a lovely man. But here I am thinking, well, where's, you know, I've got so much support and already such a strong relationship with our existing cardiologist. Like, why has this happened? Yeah. And anyway, this new cardiologist says to me, so it's not certain that Finn's going to need this operation, you know. And I just went, well, it is. (laughs) I've been told since, you know, he was two weeks old that he is going to need it. So what do you mean? He goes, no, he goes, I'm looking at, the dimensions of the hole and explained to me that as Finn's heart's gotten bigger, the hole is presenting smaller and there was some tissue yes. that was trying to, yeah, this, this tissue that was trying to grow over it. And he said, the tissue is never going to fully be able to grow over it because the blood's just going to keep knocking it, but it can help to fill it. And basically he says, I'm not saying that he's not going to need it, but there is a chance. He said, I would almost give you 50, 50 chance that he's not going to need this surgery. If my original cardiologist had told me that, I would have left the room elated. But because this was someone that I'd only just met, it actually didn't really give me any peace of mind. I actually left feeling, yeah, it's hard to explain. I left feeling, yeah, exactly. You know, like I've just met this person. He's never seen Finn before. I just couldn't hold on to it. We were meant to be going back to Caratha after that appointment. My husband was back up there. And I had to ring him and say, no, like I'm not, I have I need to go make an appointment with our original cardiologist because I don't feel, yeah, I don't feel happy about that. Like I've, you know, not that, you know, obviously this man's a cardiologist, he knows exactly what he's doing, but it was just really hard to hear when you've been told every week of Finn's life that he's, when he has surgery, after his surgery, post-surgery all that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. I rang up the nurse and I kind of explained what happened and she was, oh, yeah, like, he's a new cardiologist. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, and she understood my um, feelings of unsureness around this. So um, basically she set up a meeting with both of the cardiologists, our new cardiologist and our old cardiologist, who went through the results together. Oh. And it was the first time that our old cardiologist had said, mm, no, you might be right. Okay, maybe he might not need this surgery. And then he left and I sat and had a really good conversation with this new cardiologist who was just so – I just cannot thank him enough for everything that he did for us because he really connected with us like as parents and he totally understood my anxiety and my feelings around everything. He even said to me, like, I understand like you haven't met me before and I've come out and said something that completely contradicts what you've heard Finn's whole life that would be – you know, strange. It would be hard for you to believe. And he goes, but Hannah, of my heart. He goes, if I ran into you in 20 years' time and you said to me, Finn never needed that operation, I wouldn't be surprised. And I just thought, okay, you know, like and someone else has also agreed. And we had the choice after that whether we stuck with our new cardiologist or if we stayed with our original cardiologist. And it was just something after that chat. Like I just loved his optimism about it all and how um, he really – acknowledge my feelings around everything that had happened but I said no like I I would like to continue seeing you like I've you know I'm more than happy for us to stay in your care and he was like great and I'm so glad we did because the last cardiologist was obviously fantastic but our new cardiologist obviously he encouraged me to go back to Karratha and he ended up organizing through the Caratha hospital for Finn to go in weekly to have his obs and weight done and then they would ring him he would um, then ring me and say everything's fine. Like he said, it was. I honestly think it was more him dealing with my anxiety than Finn's health. At some points, like, and he would just yeah, ring yeah. Um, maybe yeah. like every two weeks and check in and just ask how Finn was going. And then kind of came to the six-month mark and is Finn starting solids? Yep, he's loving it. And just constantly checking in, which I know that they're busy and he's probably going above and beyond. But it was just that extra care and that connection that I ended up making with him and if I even if I rang the nurses and just said oh Finn's got a bit of a flu like do I need to take him into the hospital um they would be like no like as long as you know he's not getting more sleepy than usual or he's still feeding okay like he'll be fine mm-hmm. and then obviously they must have to put in the notes that Madison's called about this and he would ring me just to follow up I oh, heard cool. that Finn was sick yeah it was just really amazing the care that we received from him so yeah so eventually we that got to the point so
1: great and so at what point did you feel like you were like out of the woods I suppose yeah
0: yeah so eventually we got to an appointment towards the end of last year so that towards the end of 2021 and he basically said this hole is getting so much smaller that I really think there's a good chance here that he won't need the surgery and I don't think I need to see you until March. So this is from December to March, was the, which was the longest that we'd ever gone without seeing him. And, yeah, he basically said, you know, well, let's look at him. Like he's not the same child that he was. Like not once has he not met one of the criteria that we're looking for. So I would be surprised if he does have to have this surgery. Obviously, we need to keep watching him. So that was just amazing. And that was the first time that I felt positive that he wasn't going to need the surgery or, you know, we could actually have that hope that, okay, there's a chance here. Because before that, you know, 50-50, you kind of got to prepare yourself for the worst when they tell you that. But, yeah, yeah you can't get too excited. But, yeah, so he... Um went back for his appointment in March, and again, it was just getting smaller and smaller, and they actually said, Okay, he can even stop taking the medication now because we don't even think it's worthwhile him taking that, especially with the amount of weight that he put on, the dose that I was giving him was basically doing nothing anyway. So um because he got put on that from about eight weeks old, and now you know he's rearing towards seven months old. Yeah, so we stopped the medication, nothing changed. We then had our very last appointment in May this year and the hole is still there, which is fine. Um, I've been assured that even with the hole there, it's not going to restrict him from sports or be any sort of burden to his life. Like he will know none the wiser and that they are adamant that he is not going to need surgery to correct it. So He still has to have an appointment in 12 months' time um, just to double check. Yeah, but, yeah, they've basically said you can take a big sigh of relief. I think you will not need open-heart surgery. So amazing. So very um, different to how the story started. (laughs) Yeah. I mean,
1: it is so challenging as it is first year, first baby, You know, you're worried about everything with your child. You don't know what to look for. You're concerned about their breathing rate regardless. Exactly, (laughs) And then to have all of that that you're dealing with on top of that, I couldn't even imagine the stress. On reflection, what do you think helped you get through all of it or like if you could give advice to another family going through it, what was the thing that really helped?
0: Yeah, so I absolutely would have been stuffed without my family. So just having those people that you can call upon and obviously I'm so appreciative of what they did but just not being afraid to ask for help especially you know when I was in my worst moments if he wasn't having a feed like mum would just come and sit with me and be like you're allowed to feel like this so just having that really good support system around um, as well as utilising like if you know you unfortunately do find yourself in the same situation Like, like I said the nurses there are just unbelievable and there's also um, heart kids so the social worker put me in touch with heart kids which basically there's a Facebook group but then if you're in a hospital they can set you up with other families who are either in the same boat as to waiting for this surgery and then also families post-surgery that come and share all their positive experiences as well and the, I've made so many beautiful mum friends Through Heart Kids, and yeah, just to connect with them and keep in touch with how everyone's going. And yeah, PCH organises a counselling service for you if you need, which I did for the first few weeks, had regular phone calls and one on ones with them when I was in hospital. So that's what I would suggest if you unfortunately ever did find yourself in the same situation.
1: Yeah, reaching out to those services. We'll add links to those in the show notes as well so others can find them. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. It's a big one. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, And you're welcome and I'm sure that will (laughs) help someone else if they are going through it and just... Even the process of going into hospital with a sick child, I'm sure people will be able to relate, just even with mild, sure. milder sicknesses. You know, it's never easy being in hospital dealing with a sick child.
0: No, it's not. And, yeah, just to trust that mother instinct and, yeah, really stand up for yourself and your child, that would be my biggest advice for anyone that's for any reason, yeah, yeah having to take their kid in for something. So, yeah, mother's intuition.
1: yes it's a big one tap into that ladies (laughs) it's hard to do but tap into it it's your biggest tool (laughs) well thank you again so much
0: thank you thank you for listening to Unscripted with Alex this show was brought to you by Batika Co.